0: I'm Beth and I'm Jimmy and we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Hello Beth. Hello Jimmy. You good? Yeah I'm good thanks.
1: I bet you are, you're super excited about this episode.
0: Oh I am, there's nothing like a Christmas number one.
1: We wanted to do something special for Christmas for our listeners, so what we've decided to do is a two-parter to go through the charts for every Christmas throughout the 90s. So we'll start with 1990 to 94 on this episode, and on the next episode, it will be 95 to 99.
0: Perfect. That sounds like a plan, Jimmy.
1: You love Christmas, don't you?
0: I do. I do. And you are such a scrooge. You have to admit, don't you? You are. Like, Christmas decorations, we would not have them in the house if it wasn't for me and the kids.
1: Yeah. You have to admit
0: that. Nah. Everything You're like, oh, it looks messy. Oh, that's too much. It oh, does, what have you bought now? What have is, you bought now? It is
1: clutter. It is clutter. No,
0: it's Christmas. I always, each year, I always buy one new decoration. So over the years, yeah, we're sort of well,
1: adding to the you, collection. You must be about 300 years old <laughs> then. We're going to go through the Christmas chart. We really hope you enjoy the reminiscing on the old days with us. So for now,
0: let's rewind to the 90s.
1: So we'll start our journey right back at the beginning of the 90s and the first number one on our list Beth is a song that has made us laugh incessantly over the years.
0: But I actually really like the song as well. Do you? I do, I do. Ah.
1: <laughs> so we're talking about Cliff Richard's Saviour's Day and it was penned by British songwriter Chris Eaton and he previously worked with Cliff Richard on the hit Living Doll in 1986. Now the song reflects on the religious aspects of Christmas as you'd expect from Cliff Richard Focusing on the joy and hope that the holiday season brings, the lyrics paint a vivid picture of the festive season, emphasizing the importance of love, peace, and togetherness.
0: And that is what Christmas is about.
1: But it was hilarious, and we'll we'll come on to that. The music video for Saviour's Day was filmed in Dorset, in the town of Swanage, and at Durdle Door. The video was shot in September 1990. Cliff Richard and the extras in the video were asked to wear warm winter clothes for the Christmas song, but the day's filming actually took place on a warm September day with a blue sky and sunshine. (laughs) The video featured Richard and the extras singing together on the top of the limestone arch of Durdle Door and featured Cliff striking messianic poses on the chalk cliffs of Dorset. It is funny, it is. It was the biggest load of cheese you've ever seen in your (laughs) life. And it's the messianic poses that, yes. that really strike me.
0: Saviour's Day. And everyone
1: sort of glorifying him yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, woeful. Do you remember that Top of the Pops rewinds we watched when they did it on stage? Yes. And there was a guy playing the flute, and mm-hmm. Cliff Richard kind of went mm-hmm. over all yeah. creepy to yeah. him and, and did the flute on the mic. It yeah. was really yeah. weird. We, are, <laughs> we were crying with laughter. So this was the second occasion that Cliff Richard had a solo Christmas number one, and the first one was Toe and wine. Correct. So Saviour's Day entered the singles chart on the 8th of December, 1990 at number six. It went to number three the following week and up a further spot the week before Christmas. And then, of course, it went to number one on the 23rd of December, 1990. And that replaced uh, what was number one at the time, which we covered in a previous episode. Mm
0: -hmm. Ice Ice Baby.
1: Absolutely, by Vanilla Rice. And to hear more about that particular song, please do go back to episode 14, where we covered the extraordinary life of Robert Van Winkle. Mm. (laughs) So there were no references to Deck in the Halls or Santa Claus here, and there wasn't a sleigh bell in sight. Despite mistletoe wine being unashamedly religious in tone, Cliff still kept the secular touches that people expect from a festive chart hit. For Saviour's Day though, he's gone full-on Christian contemporary. Open your eyes on Saviour's Day. Don't look back or turn away. It's proper, like, Judgment Day stuff. Real hardcore preaching. But
0: he's got a nice tune as well.
1: Oh. There's a suggestion though that Saviour's Day isn't just how Cliff would like to spend Christmas but how it was long ago. There's something very old-timey about its references to harvest time and long journeys from hills and valleys and raising glasses to Jesus. The whole record has the air of a somewhat cranky demo which cliff decided to put out himself
0: well it's, it's interesting isn't it because obviously i'm you know know it's from the 90s but when you actually hear it and you watch the video you sort of think it could be the 80s it doesn't yeah it it should be much older than it actually is yeah and it's not
1: a particularly good record those wretched pipes could sink it alone but it's i guess it's, it's honest and heartfelt it's
0: the video because cliff's wearing like isn't he wearing a white jacket and when he does his yeah. saviours on the on yeah. the cliff
1: <laughs> almost that pure, pure yeah yeah if you haven't seen the video
0: listeners you should go and watch it
1: so even though it sometimes drifts a bit towards finger wagging yeah. i think it's fair to say mm-hmm. there is definitely some joy and sincerity on it and you can see that when he performs it yeah so as for what other songs were in the charts this year for christmas 1990 we do have some honourable mentions for the top 40. So we had Proclaimers with King of the Road at number 36. We had Gaza with Geordie Boys, two places high at 34. <laughs> that was an atrocious song. I mean Fog on the Time wasn't much better. I was key,
0: yeah, I get confused between those two. Yeah.
1: There was a fantastic song at number 26, and that was Patsy Klein with Crazy. Ah,
0: that was a good one. That was
1: beautiful. Yeah, and it was re-released yes. at the time. I remember it being being quite frequently played. And mm. um, we had Seal with Crazy
0: yes that was an
1: absolute banger that that song is one that even if you listen to it now it sounds good Mm. you know it's lasted the test of time the top 10 had plenty of variety alongside ice ice baby we also had emf with unbelievable
0: yeah
1: mc hammer with pray we had madonna with justify my love which i thought was one of her worst songs Mm. oh and the farm had all together now yeah that's a great song. We also had John Travolta and Olivia Newton John with the Grease Mega Mix and the Righteous Brothers with You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Mm. Any of those tracks All stand out songs, to you? Yeah,
0: I like that. You've lost that loving feeling. That's a good one. That's the
1: one that stands out. I think yeah. I think the seal one was
0: yeah, probably that's my favourite out
1: of those, I think. And of course you mean I, Not Size Baby. Not <laughs> I don't think. Oh come on, I
0: thought you were Gaza fan. No, nah,
1: stick to the football. <laughs> Okay, let's roll into 1991's Christmas League table and it's a bit of a step up this year in terms of quality as the charts were topped by the iconic rock anthem Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen originated in the late 1960s when Freddie Mercury, who was then a student at Ealing Art College, began shaping initial ideas for the song on scraps of paper. So he offered the band a glimpse of the masterpiece in the early 1970s under the working title of The Cowboy Song.
0: That's-
1: Well, possibly influenced there by the lyrics mention of a man confessing to killing someone. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: So, reflecting on those early days, Brian May shared his memories in 2008 and he described how Freddie would come in with various pieces of paper from his father's workplace, sort of resembling post it notes, and enthusiastically he'd play the piano. The song, according to May, had gaps where Mercury explained that operatic elements would be introduced, demonstrating that he meticulously worked yeah. out those harmonies. Yeah, well, that is incredible. Clever, clever guy. So Mercury informed the fellow band members that he thought he had ample material for three separate songs, but was contemplating merging all the lyrics into one single extensive extravaganza. And the resulting six-minute masterpiece, an iconic mini rock opera, ultimately became the defining song for the band. Taping began in August 1975 at the famous Rockfield Studios in Wales. The innovative song began with the famous Capella intro, is this the real life, is this just fantasy, before embracing everything from glam metal rock to opera. Just everything,
0: there was everything
1: in that song. It was, and I really mm. get the three different songs in one. Yeah. A week was devoted to the opera section, for which Mercury had methodically written out all the harmony parts, There was a sense among those involved that Queen had crafted something truly extraordinary. Reflecting on the experience, producer Roy Thomas Baker conveyed to Performing Songwriter magazine. Nobody really knew how the whole six-minute song would sound until it was put together. I was standing at the back of the control room, and you just knew that you were listening to, for the first time, to a significant moment in history. Something inside told me that this was a noteworthy day, and indeed it was. So Bohemian Rhapsody had reached number one spot in Christmas 1975 yeah. and it again repeated the achievement in 91 and it's the only record to have reached the top of the Christmas chart twice. I can't think of another song that's remotely like it.
0: No. There's there's nothing quite no, there isn't.
1: resembling it at all. It's so unique, which is a, a fantastic testament to the song. Other honourable mentions, uh, and we have to start with this one, given the sad news mm-hmm. that, that came to us a few weeks ago. It was the Pogues and Kirstie McCall fairy tale of New York. And that was re-released four years after its first launch, when it only made it to 38. And of course, mm. we have to talk about Shane McGowan.
0: Yeah,
1: we do, we do. Another very unique artist in the way that he wrote his songs. Yeah. I remember seeing a interview with him one time and he was talking about Christmas songs and he wanted to write a Christmas song. But he said he wanted to write a Christmas song written by a bollocks like himself.
0: Yeah, Rather than yeah, yeah. just their
1: airy fairy Christmas bells and all yeah, of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's captured kind of the other side of Christmas. That doesn't really yeah. get captured in no, any of his songs. No, 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 it doesn't, does it?
0: But it works. It, it really it does
1: works. work. I remember seeing him for the first time in 1990. We talked when we did the Boyzone episode about The Late Late Show.
0: Yeah.
1: Him and Ronnie Drew sang The Irish Rover. Yeah. And I'd never seen anything like it. The music was great. But these two completely different guys at the front just... Shane again, not really giving a damn, no, just going no, for it. And it just sounded so authentic. Yeah. And of course, with Kirsty McCall having lost yeah. her life, that, yeah, that's both of them yeah. that have both now passed them, away. Yeah. That song will be additionally poignant this year.
0: And I wonder if it might be number one again this year. I, I'd it.
1: like to think so, yeah, but we'll nice. see. Other songs that were in the Christmas charts at this stage were Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit.
0: Yeah, I see
1: i thought it was it would have been earlier than that yeah. but that was number 25 kate bush had a cover of rocket man from elton john and that yeah. was 19 11 was michael jackson with black or white yeah, well,
0: yeah. do you remember that there was the video because um macaulay Culkin was in the video yeah, absolutely. yeah, that was a bit weird it
1: was a bit weird
0: yeah and they
1: were best friends at the time of course
0: yes of course they were
1: so that was a little bit strange yeah Guns N' Roses was six with Live and Let Die. Right Said Fred, Don't Talk Just Kiss was up five. Fourth was the KLF featuring Tammy Winnett with Justified and Ancient. That's the first song I've mentioned that I don't remember. No,
0: Justified and Ancient,
1: no. George Michael and Elton John with Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me and Diana Ross with When You Tell Me That You Love Me was taking the third and second spots respectively. Cliff Richard only made number 12 this year with We Should Be Together. Which doesn't sound preachy enough on one of
0: his <laughs> Christmas songs. Sound, it doesn't, does it?
1: <laughs> if it was, we must be together at church this Christmas, then yes, then that together. would have felt more yeah. clear.
0: So moving on to 92, the Christmas number one spot we had, Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You. I can't fault that song. You can't <laughs> sing it either. <laughs> no, but I can try. So written by Jolly Parton and originally released as a chart-topping country hit by the legendary musician in 1974, the iconic ballad reached new heights once Houston recorded it for the soundtrack of the '92 film. Can you remember? The Bodyguard. Have you ever watched it? Yes,
1: a number oh, of times. Wow. My mum had it on VHS, um, so I, I've definitely seen that with Kevin Costner. It yeah. was actually a good film. It is a good
0: film. It I, I don't know
1: film. if I watched it now, ever. I'd think that, but when I was. Well it would have been eleven twelve when I watched that, I suppose. It was a it was a good film,
0: I think. Yeah, it is a good film. It is a good film. So Houston's version of the track reached number one in over a dozen countries upon its release and went on to win awards for the record of the year, the best pop vocal performance at the ninety four Grammys. The roots of the song are interesting. Dolly Parton got her star on the Porter Wagner show in nineteen sixty seven with dreams of a solo career but no hits. Parton sang on Wagner's show for seven years until she signed an autograph for a girl named Jolene, and her first hit oh, song was born. That's right. interesting, isn't it? With her star on fire by 1974, Parton had to find a way to tell Wagner that she was leaving his show and moving on to pursue her own solo career. So she wrote Wagner a song. Its title, "I Will Always Love You." Oh. She said, "I thought, do what you do best, just write a song." So I wrote the song took it back the next day and I said Porter sit down I've got something I have to sing to you so I sang it and he was sitting at the desk and he was crying part and in a 2021 clip from filmmaker Ken Burns country music he said it's the best thing you ever wrote okay you can go but only if I can produce that record and he did, and the rest is history. Wow. Isn't that a nice story? I didn't know that until um, we did the research. No, so that's no, a lovely sort of piece to now know about that song.
1: Well, in 1993, one 20-year-old fan of the song, Helen Stevens from the UK, was jailed for a week after refusing to turn down her <laughs> stereo blasting "I Will Always Love You." <laughs> that same year, 31-year-old Joan Hall threw Julie Woodford's stereo out of a fourth-floor window. And when was then attacked by the said Julie Woolford because Julie's son wouldn't stop playing the song either. Now Julie Woolford pleaded guilty to assault and was ordered to stay at a different address.
0: So actually that song has caused quite a lot of going
1: They were both in the UK as well. It all kicked off. <laughs> I suppose Quite they, literally. Like any song like that. Do you remember that neighbour we had where they were p- repeatedly playing Diana Roth? No, um
0: Baby Love it was. Oh, baby baby love. love to get their daughter off to sleep. Ah. Oh it killed us it killed it us was it was awful. just I,
1: I actually used to like the song <laughs> but after the like thousandth time in one night <laughs> just and then just it would like, stop and there'd be that moment of hope like, and then suddenly out of nowhere
0: baby, love, ooh, baby love.
1: oh no it was awful and i imagine the neighbor would have probably got i mean seemed to get quite worked up about it <laughs> Sadly, the song was played at the funeral of Whitney Houston who died in February 2012 after accidentally drowning in a bathtub at the Beverly Hilton Hotel in Beverly Hills with heart disease and cocaine use as contributing factors. But the song and the movie it was in were both 90s classics, weren't they? Were. They?
0: they were, they were.
1: The chart itself did have some other worthy offerings of mention. HWA featuring Sonic the Hedgehog yes. had a song called Super Sonic, which was 37, Criss-cross were at 31 with It's a Shame. After 17 weeks in the chart, Boys to Men, End of the Road End was the road. still at 27. Wow,
0: after 17 weeks.
1: And back then, that was a massive yeah. achievement. Yeah. Boney M, with the Boney M Mega Mix, was at 7, while an unusual entrant at 6 saw the WWF Superstars place with Slam Jam. Yeah. So WWF would be what our son refers to as WWE, mm-hmm. but they had to change the name because of the World War
0: World Wildlife Federation. Yeah,
1: because of that. (laughs) Number four was Take That with Could It Be Magic. Mm. While number three was one of the 90s, 90s tracks, Charles and Eddie with Would I Lie to You. Oh,
0: yeah. That was a
1: great song. Yeah, that was good. Michael Jackson was in second with Heal the World.
0: Yeah, make it a better place.
1: For you and for me. There we go. (laughs) There's Beth and her goldfish memory for lyrics another failed attempt by cliff richard to regain his thorny crown as he languished at 16 with i still believe in you oh,
0: he's, cliff he's literally up every year oh he was
1: banging him out every year oh, i
0: don't remember that i still believe in you is that even though we haven't been praying
1: maybe, believes, maybe that's he, he still
0: believes in yeah, well
1: maybe he's talking about god despite you not making me number one at christmas last year <laughs> i still believe in you
0: <laughs> he should change it to i still believe in me
1: Cast your mind back to 93, and just before the cusp of Britpop caused a cultural earthquake like no other, one surprising artist was already storming through. Was he pink? He was pink and yellow spots.
0: And yellow spots.
1: Mr Blobby, before we delve any further into this murky swamp, I'd better explain exactly what uh, Mr Blobby is for anyone who's not British or anyone born in this century. It's a man in a giant pink and yellow rubber suit with a perma grin and googly eyes, who's only capable of saying blobby over and over over (laughs) again in an electronically altered voice. His shtick is that he's terminally clumsy, and anyone who comes into contact with him will end up flat on the floor. He rose to fame on Noel's House Party, which was a Saturday night, light evening entertainment show set in a fictional mansion called Crinkly Bottom. A number one hit on the Pink Mascot's first attempt marked a catastrophic decimation of the charts with Mr Blobby's self-titled track hitting the top spot.
0: And do you know what song it knocked off the top spot?
1: I do, and that makes it all the more <laughs> tragic because it was actually a really good song.
0: <laughs> you must have been fuming.
1: It knocked off Meat I Do Anything For Love but I won't do that, which may represent the greatest <laughs> chart comeback of any artist I've ever seen in history. It had all the downtime since Battle of Hell in the late 70s, which was before My type but it was an album I was still listening to and familiar with. And that was such a great comeback. And like the full version of the song was like seven or eight minutes and it was just brilliant. And then suddenly that got replaced by Blobby. His siege in the charts proved dominant until Take That eventually took him down. And the track itself marked a total of three weeks at the top spot. More time than any pulp song ever spent in the top spot and more time than the Beatles' strawberry fields forever did. Mr. Blobby. Mr.
0: Blobby. It does
1: make you question, though. Then
0: there was a Mrs. Blobby, and there were
1: Blobby babies. Oh. <laughs> Do you
0: remember Mrs. Blobby?
1: No. No. <laughs> I'm sure
0: there I must have blocked got... out
1: anything pink and yellow I'm by I'm sure that he point. got
0: his own programme eventually as well.
1: Even with that devilish Blobby husk at the helm, it would appear Brits were rather taken with the song and album at the time, with Mr. Blobby managing...
0: Song and and album. (laughs) And album. album.
1: It gets worse. (laughs) The track became platinum selling. (laughs) And platinum records are are given out to tracks that have sold at least 600,000 certified units. With Mr Blobby just clinching that margin and cementing himself as a platinum artist. Mr Blobby joins the likes of Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Wonder and the Backstreet Boys in the chilling annals of musical history.
0: But he never toured. Well, they they
1: asked him about it. And then he just replied, bloby, 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 bloby. <laughs> one critic at the time of the track's release noted that Mr. Blobby set the bar so low with this bizarre single that it's hard to imagine it could ever be served. <laughs> For me, the moment that sums it all up comes towards the end of the, the video where there's footage of Blobby storming out of a helicopter and into the arms of a child who looks like he's seen the face of a god. It sums up Blobby mania, which culminated here in him reaching Christmas number one. He was everywhere. He was on TV He was in panto, he was in adverts, there was a computer game, and he even ran for election as an MP in
0: 1995.
1: (laughs) He received 0.2% of the vote. Now, you might think that's not much. I'm thinking, who is that bloody 0.2% of people? They are disillusioned voters. (laughs) They must be. Three separate Mr. Blobby theme park attractions were opened over the course of the 90s, none of which survived the decade. In other chart news of the period... Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, was re-released and reached number 40. Hulk Hogan and Green Jelly released I'm the Leader of the Gang, which I'm presuming was the Gary Glitter yeah. version. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Mariah Carey had Hero at oh, number 18. Yeah. Unlucky for some as K7, Come Baby Come, Baby Baby Come, come, I, uh, hit number yeah. thirty. After reaching number 5 in the Christmas chart in 1984, Frankie Goes to Hollywood re-released The Power of Love, which made it go to number 10. Another record to make the Christmas top 10 twice, The Power of Love was number 5 during Christmas Uh, 84. Meatloaf made the top 10 for only the third time in his career with Bat Out of Hell from his original 70s album and surpassing its original peak of number
0: 15.
1: Mm -hmm. E17 made 15 with It's Alright. But my favourite song from the chart this year, Mr Blob, no, no, not Mr Blobby. (laughs) My favourite song from the chart this year was actually at number 3. Chakodemus and pliers with their version of Twist and Shout and here's one for you, you. here's a good, bit of trivia good, for you yeah. it was actually the highest charting version of that song ever so no release of Twist and Shout charted higher I than Chakodemus and pliers yeah. as is customary in this episode we can tell you that Cliff Richard failed again this year as Healing Love hit number 19 I don't remember that song oh, well, it hit number 19 I, I can't really say a lot like no, that because no, no, I don't no. remember it Cliff Richard holds the distinction of having a hit in the Christmas chart every year from nineteen eighty eight to ninety four. Opportunistic.
0: Well he never gives up, that's one of the things. Determined.
1: To be fair to him, he was charting in the sixties and he's still charting know, thirty odd years he, he later. A, yeah, fair play to him, I suppose. Yeah.
0: The last year in part one of our Christmas chart rundowns brings us to ninety four and a good number a one. A great number one. A good number the one. The best band,
1: number yeah. one Christmas song of the nineties, maybe. Yeah,
0: as far we'll as, as, yeah, decide. At yeah, the end. we'll do. We we'll do because it is a lovely song. I think I just now have more favourites, but mm. at the time, yes, this was amazing. Um, as far as Christmas songs go, and that's E seventeen with "Stay Another Day."
1: At the end of November, you could have backed them at 8-1 for the top honours. And one month later, they'd done it in style. A fourth week at the top May E17, Christmas number one of 1994. It's arguably the first Christmas number one for many years to make the top on its own merits as a single. So 1991's winner was Bohemian Rhapsody in the aftermath of the death of Freddie Mercury. 92, I Will Always Love You was buoyed up by the accompanying film. While the year before, Mr. Blobby. (laughs) It was the phenomenon mm. around that. Stay Another Day is not a tribute, not a film soundtrack and not a novelty, just a classic pop record and enough to earn them their place in chart history. It's actually their only number one song.
0: That's a surprise. I know. What other songs did,
1: did you they think, did think they had as number one?
0: The one with Gabrielle. I thought that if was the number one. Yeah. And.
1: Been Around the World.
0: Yeah.
1: Deep was probably my favourite one yeah, of their songs.
0: Yeah.
1: It was felt that, The song itself had been released too early to make number one in the Christmas chart, but it turned out not to be the case. Stay Another Day was the third single from E17's second album, Steam, following up Around the World and the album's title track. It was their first ballad written by the band's lead songwriter, Tony Mortimer, and it was about the suicide of his brother, Ollie. Mortimer explained, It was based on my brother's suicide and losing someone. What would you do if you had one more day with a loved one? It was all based on conversations I'd had with my brother and I was trying to change it into a love song about the end of a relationship. So Mortimer was aided in the composition by his co-manager Rob Keane and songwriter Dominic Hawking, who had once been Boy George's keyboard player. Christmas bells were then added in the studio towards the end of the song to appeal to the lucrative Christmas singles market. Adding to Stay Another Day's appeal is the memorable video capturing E17 in fur-trimmed white Park mm-hmm. as the snow drifts down the record company didn't like it, thinking it made them look too soft like any other boy band. So they did another shooting in the studio. And I think the video I'm most aware of is the one that flips between both. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now I get that yeah. why they did that. Do you remember yeah. they
1: were like leaning against yeah, the piano yeah, as they were singing yes, and stuff? Yeah, and then they were in with the white puffer
0: coats with the fur.
1: Yeah. The song remains so popular that even now it earns Tony Mortimer £100,000 a year. Wow. Probably £1,000 a year up until December. I was say, <laughs> and then 99000 like, yeah, yeah. for December. Yeah. And it was actually this song that pre- prevented Beth's Christmas song favourite from going to number one, didn't it? Yeah. All I
0: Want For Christmas
1: Is You. All I Want For Christmas Is You by Mariah Carey was behind in second place. Though it has long been reported that that song only took 15 minutes to write. It sounds like it. Carey later revealed that the time frame was a little bit longer than that. Why do you love that song so much? I don't know.
0: I don't know do know because it's one of those it's grown. And now I hear other Christmas songs. It's not. It's still one of my favorites. I don't know. I just love the. I love the bells at the beginning, the intro, and then I just love it. And then the high bit that I can never sing, but it just. It just gets me me. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. Yeah, I just love it. And our daughter, do daughter, really oh, got into she, it now as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. But well, she loves Christmas, doesn't she? she does. That's because of me,
1: not you. I think she she loves Christmas, and our son loves presents.
0: Yeah. Is that, that fair? Yeah, that is fair. I Wait till he has to
1: start paying for them.
0: Our daughter said that she prefers Christmas to her birthday. Yeah. Because she loves, she she's like me, she loves this build-up. And then she loves the being with family, being at home. You know, she I loves think, all that. I stuff.
1: think if it all started around December the 22nd, I'd be okay with it. But I struggle when I start hearing people talk about Christmas in September or October. Yeah,
0: and even I have to say that. First of December is when I then start playing the music. Not
1: before. So at number three, Ann was another Beth favourite, which featured in our Boyzone episode a couple of weeks ago, Love Me For A Reason. The Power Rangers and Celine Dion's Think Twice made up the remainder of the top five. Other top tens from the 94 Christmas chart included Jimmy Nails' Crocodile Shoes. Crocodile Shoes. was
0: ah. <laughs> from a programme. Do you remember it? Was yeah, wasn't it wasn't called Crocodile, Crocodile Shoes. Shoes. <laughs> where's the, the programme? Yeah.
1: And then you had Cotton Eye Joe. Oh,
0: Cotton Eye Joe. you
1: yeah, been for Cotton Joe. I've I been know. married it's a long, long time ago. Where did, 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 did you come, come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Joe. And there was the whole dance. dude, yeah. With the
0: arms. And there was that
1: the story arms. that they were, I can't remember the politically correct term, but there was a story that they were all kind of inbred and stuff. Was it it? But it was, no, it was pure marketing, like, so Let Me Be Your Fantasy from Baby D was mm. at number 13 and then PJ and Duncan with mm. Eternal Love. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that song. We're going to have to go over that. It was atrocious. I do remember it. Do it was atrocious. It got played on the box way too much. Eternal, we're at number 15 with Crazy. Oh, yeah. Another proper 90s classic at, was at 19. And I think actually this might have been one of the top ones of the year for me. In terms of when I look back yeah, at the 90s yeah, yeah. now. MC Saar and the Real McCoy with Another Night. I like that one.
0: That is a good tune. And please, not uh, is, is Cliff having a, uh, a day off no, now? Is he having a
1: year off? No, you know we've got to finish off with <laughs> Cliff Richards, Yeah, so Cliff Richard was in again, this time at number 20 with All I Have to Do Is Dream. He dreamed of topping the Christmas charts again and failed. Wigfield's Saturday Night, Bon Jovi's Always, and Eternals' Oh Baby I, Chevrolet Crow's All I Want to Do, Kylie's Put Yourself in My Place, and Sightful Sore Eyes by the M People were all between 20 and 30. In terms of a 20 to 30,
0: that is a good That's a
1: pretty bolstered uh, lineup, isn't it? That's a good chart.
0: And all these songs that we've like, you know, you obviously remember them from the 90s, but you don't remember that they were obviously that close to the Christmas.
1: That brings us to the end of our first episode. Um, so far, so what we'll do is the next episode will go on from 95 to 99. If you had to pick a song that we talked about today, let's say from the top 10 of a, of the chart, what would be your favourite Christmas song thus far? I know the answer to this, don't I?
0: Well, no, because I, well, I want to pick something that you're I'm going to go for Mr. Blobby. <laughs> oh, just despite <laughs> me. I've loved uh Jimmy reminiscing about all the other ones and I love the Christmas number ones but I also love reminiscing on who didn't quite make it and who was in the charts at the time and all these people and all these songs that I remember are coming out and it's just like yeah
1: That race doesn't seem to exist anymore.
0: No, it it's still
1: there do. but it's more specifically around what's that novelty baby something or other? Oh there's an absolutely brilliant novelty record we can discuss in the next episode. Yes we
0: can. Are
1: you liking Christmas more? No, no. I see this big tree taking up all the living room. The light's constantly on. You, ignoring the cost of living crisis with the electricity price.
0: Yeah, but at least we're not like the neighbours with this big Santa
1: on. Oh, there's a huge inflatable Santa next door. <laughs>
0: they don't even have
1: kids that inflatable santa has a very punchable face you're right he doesn't even (laughs) have kids but he's maybe he's doing it for the benefit of everybody else
0: yeah that's what he is he's like yeah he's bringing that joy to everybody else on the street which is good anyway so we hope we've got you into the christmas mood and you've enjoyed part one And looking forward to doing part
1: two. Please join us next week where we pick up the story in December 1995. So good luck everyone with your Christmas shopping. And join us on the next episode as we go through the remainder of the decade. Until next week. Talk
0: talk to the hands.